When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. Enjoy more of the things you love with TCL. Get in the know. Non-stop Vikings talk. It's Purple Daily on Score North and scorenorth.com. You know, it's a new experience, I guess, for a lot of those guys coming in there. And, you know, there were some good things. You know, I thought our protection was pretty good for the most part. Uh, you know, it's nice to see Kirk uh, move in the pocket a few times. You know, in the second half offensively, I thought we played really well. Uh, moved the ball pretty good, scored some touchdowns, got some two-point conversions. There's always, like every game, there's some good and some bad. And welcome into Purple Daily. We're going to dive into our football nerd segment of the week and some statistical things that are worthy of uh, discussing off that debacle against Green Bay. And then we'll look ahead. But, uh, Declan, I'm going to guess that you probably cracked a little uh, Corona Hard Seltzer after watching the Vikings get smoked well, I, by... I, I, cra- I cracked a lot of them. And I, I had to do the four verts. And this week, I'm hoping more of just, like, single formation. So just one Hard Seltzer flavor, maybe, just for this week. Maybe I go all four. Do you ever take the Corona Hard Seltzers all out of the case and then align them, like, in football formations? Or it's is a, that just me? It depends. Me? I'm, I think I might have to start doing that with certain flavors. You know, who is the quarterback? So who's the lime? You know, wide receivers, probably mango. Lime I, defense. You know, offense. Of lineman, probably cherry line defense. I love it. Who's Even Dalvin Cook? Dalvin Cook is the Blackberry line, one hundred percent, easily. Can block, catch, and run. He, he's just he's a stud. He's a mixture of all the great things. Takes care. Okay. Yeah. Very good. He's got a lot of good uh, beach vibes. I'm a big fan. Uh, Corona Hard Seltzer is a tasty spike sparkling water with a splash of fruit flavors that allow you to enjoy the moment. In each can, Corona Hard Seltzer has zero carbs, zero sugar, ninety calories, and is gluten free. Relax responsibly. Corona Hard Seltzer spikes sparkling water with natural flavors. Imported by Crown Imports, Chicago, Illinois. Football. Well, part of it, he got the ball out a lot. You know, most a lot of the times the ball was out in two and a half seconds. They quick counted us one time on third down, caught us in a couple man coverage things where where they ran pick routes. You know, there were some of, some of those situations too. But he, he was getting the ball out pretty quick. A lot of a lot of times, unless he got out of the pocket or unless it was maximum protection. That was uh, Mike Zimmer talking about the lack of pressure on Aaron Rodgers and making Aaron Rodgers uh, hop into DeLorean and go back in time and look like he did in, like, 2012. So welcome into Purple Daily, Phil Mackey, Judd Zolgad, and Declan Goff. And it is, uh, it's your lucky day, everyone. Because this is our football nerd segment of the week that we're going to dive into. But just a quick shout out to Federated Mutual Insurance Company. Federated's been helping business owners in the state of Minnesota for over 100 years. And whether you're in a pandemic uh, year like we have been in this ridiculous 2020 or any other year, 
It helps tremendously to have an insurance company that gives you peace of mind as you navigate the challenges of running a business. So when you partner with Federated, you get more than just a policy. You benefit from over a century of experience in making businesses successful. Visit federatedinsurance.com to find your local representative. And remember, at Federated, it's our business to protect yours. So um, should we just dive right into the football nerd segment here? Yeah, Do you want to nerd out? Yeah, let's do it. Get I love nerds. nerds. So every week, we're going to take just a compilation of numbers, whether it be pro football focus or things from the box score that stood out, nerdy deep dives into what happened on Sunday or just general trends with the Vikings. Let's start with this one. The Vikings offensive line allowed seven pressures, which isn't terrible No, offensively. So we'll get to the defensive part of this in a second, but the Vikings offensive line only allowed seven pressures in that game. However, five of them came through Pat Elfline. So your overall assessment of the offensive line play and and knowing now that most of the pressures that did come at Kirk yeah. came through Pat Elfline. Uh, one, I'm not surprised in, in the least. I mean, you're taking a guy that was not good at left guard and you're putting him at right guard and you expect it's going to be a big improvement. I mean, his skill set is lacking. So... Uh, what I would say as a whole off your uh, off the statistic of seven pressures is I would give the Vikings offensive line an incomplete, though, because of the amount of offensive plays that they ran or probably more importantly did not run. Yeah. So it's very hard to make a judgment about how this line is going to hold up consistently when when you possess the ball for, what, 18 minutes plus, I believe. It didn't even get to 19. Uh, so I don't really take any good or bad here. I take an incomplete. Because I need to see them actually possess the ball for a normal amount of time to see how things start to uh, yep. work out with what is with what I don't think is going to be an offensive line that's going to be drastically different and great, but it definitely is um, reconstructed in some ways. I would say, yeah, I mean, it's it is historically one of the uh, one of the worst time of possession performances in NFL history to only have the ball for eighteen minutes. I might be getting this wrong, but I'm pretty sure I saw a number come across like ESPN stats and information that said since they've been tracking it since like the early 2000s, uh, it is the it is the worst time of possession performance in the NFL over that stretch. So that might someone can correct me in the comments on on YouTube if I'm wrong on that. But I think my takeaway is even though they didn't run as many plays as you would like. The offensive line wasn't a disaster. There were definitely moments, and you definitely, like Kirk, even on the first series, to complete one of his passes, Kirk had to dodge pressure and make a play with his legs. But overall, I didn't I, I didn't, I didn't, think, and the, and the numbers from Pro Football Focus would suggest this too, that the offensive line was a disaster. But the fact that Pat Elfline, even with limited offensive plays, found a way to open the gate five times, that is a little bit troublesome because that's kind of been his thing the last two years. He's just he's just not great in pass protection, and that's not surprising too. But I I just need to see way more here to see if, if this is going to work. I, I did find it very intriguing, but by the way, that in his uh, day after press conference, Zim acknowledged that the that Alexander, the cornerback for the Packers, who sacked Cousins for the safety. Was supposed to be picked up by somebody, but he didn't say who that person was. Interesting. So I'm very curious as to who that person was and if Dalvin did something wrong, which I have no clue. But Zimmer definitely threw an unnamed co-conspirator under the bus, but wouldn't tell us who it was. And then the the other part of the, the of the safety discussion, too, is like, 
It is a quarterback's main responsibility to walk up to the line of scrimmage, yes. identify the defense, yes. and some. it's a chess game. You're trying to determine, is that cornerback going to come to the line of scrimmage? Is he not? And so, you know, I, it would be it would be really interesting to sort of get the all 22 and see if you could put yourself in Kirk's brain. Did he know that that guy was coming and thought that someone was going to pick him up? Or did Kirk get surprised that, that there was going to be someone coming off the edge from the secondary? Kirk is not absolved by any means, in my opinion, on that play. But I will say it again. I don't know that when we've seen Kirk Cousins play as long as Kirk has, yes, he should account for that guy. And yes, he takes some of the blame. But can I sit here and tell you I'm absolutely shocked that it got screwed up? I just can't. Yeah. Like, it's not, it wouldn't be fair to say, Kirk Cousins, if you don't do, these are the type of things Kirk Cousins doesn't do well. Blindside pressure is not something, unfortunately, that he really accounts for or feels at at times. You know, even like the most mobile quarterbacks, Lamar Jackson doesn't want to see blindside pressure. So, you know, so blindside pressure unabated to the quarterback is always a bad thing, but it's even worse when you're not that mobile. That is a nerdy football term, by the way, and it's a great (laughs) term. Unabated? Unabated is a great word. Like, is anything else in life? Well, I uh, I made my way unabated to the freezer last night for some frozen milk duds, and then I made my way unabated to the bathroom about fifteen minutes later for. Uh, <laughs> well, I hope I hope after. no one. I, I hope the cats weren't trying to block you from the no. bathroom. No, they know they know to stay clear. <laughs> I was say, those are smart cats. Well, let's just say that uh, if you're if you're looking to avoid having to rush unabated to the bathroom, you might want to limit yourself to something fewer than fifteen milk duds in one sitting. Okay. Oh my god. Yeah, throw that out there. Get those nerds. All right, item number two here, football nerd segment. All right, let's get to the Vikings' defense and pressure. I'm going to throw a couple of these things in one lump because you had a nugget and I've got a nugget. We're going to combine them together here. The Vikings' defense, according to Pro Football Focus, pressured Aaron Rodgers just seven times as well. So each defense generated only seven pressures. Now, the Packers ran a lot more offensive plays. The Packers had just as many dropbacks as the Vikings had total plays, basically, in that game. And so for the Vikings to get only seven pressures on Aaron Rodgers on 44 dropbacks is pretty alarming. Now, obviously, Daniil Hunter did not play, and Yannick Ngakwe was dealing with some sort of an ankle problem. So you just didn't really have your guys coming off the edge. It reminded us of like the 2005 Vikings where they just didn't have anybody yeah. <laughs> coming off the edge. But here's the comp- so you So you brought this up yesterday. Well, okay, you got to get some pressure on him somehow. You got to force the issue, you got to blitz. Well, Arif Hassan from The Athletic found a nugget from Sport Radar saying the Vikings blitzed Aaron Rodgers 43% of the time that Rodgers dropped back in that game. Now, last year, the Vikings averaged 25% on their blitz rate, and the league average was 29%. So whether you're comparing to the league average or the Vikings average from last year, they did, according to Sport Radar, bring more pressure on about half of the snaps that Rodgers dropped back. Your thoughts? It didn't seem like it. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> it, it should make me feel better that Zim blitz more than to the naked eye I thought he did. Okay? Or does it make you feel worse? It makes me feel worse. <laughs> it makes me feel worse. Anthony Barr was sent on a team high 12 blitzes. Kendricks, six times. In Eric Kendricks' defense in this game, I saw him a lot. Like, there were a lot of plays, a, a lot of times that 54 did something, and I'm like, oh, there's Kendricks. Okay, here's the scary thing. You blitz on 43.2% of the dropbacks by the Packers, which is a lot for you. It's a ton for you. Anthony Barr, who we've been, you know, 
moaning and whining and complaining about not blitzing enough. Blitzes 12 times. So so by six, the most of anybody, I still don't remember really seeing him. So so I should feel better that Zim compensated more for the lack of pressure by blitzing than I initially thought he did. But I don't because he did what he should have done, I guess, more often than I thought he did. And you never even came close to getting yeah. home, really. So, I'm so shocked. I feel worse. I got to be honest. This is why I love some of these. This is why this segment's going to be super fun throughout the course Get of the season. You know, when when most of us watch a football game, now I know that like when you used to cover the beat and I covered the beat for a while, you we would we would chart certain things and snap counts and things like that. But but now like when you're watching a game, you're not necessarily you're not necessarily charting how many times Anthony Barr blitzes. It's a lot of eye test and feel and then when the when the data comes out afterwards you can Amen. really get and and so I love like if you would have asked me you watch three hours of Vikings football, how many times did Anthony Barr blitz in that game? I would have said four maybe five like i remember him i remember for sure remember him blitzing a couple times um i never would have guessed 12 yeah and that and that's a really so he basically blitzed on one out of every four dropbacks by the packers and very clearly did not get home because it's it's one of the only times you're ever going to see the vikings not sack a quarterback in a game so um, and seven pressures total that's crazy like think about all of this together like th- this is i i think if you're the Vikings defensive coaching staff. Think about digesting the stats that you're throwing at me right now and saying, what do we do next? Sort yeah, of. And, and I, I get it. Uh, you know, your litany of quarterbacks aren't going to be as good as this guy was. So, so there are going to be some, but you know, Russell Wilson. Now, do you have Hunter back for that game? Like you did. Dude, he, Russell Wilson was ridiculous on Sunday too. I know. Which is not shocking. But I mean, you did on Sunday. You technically, I guess, did some things that you thought would compensate, and it's not that they didn't compensate; they didn't come close. Yeah. So, uh, so that's the story about the pressure. So I think I think we all we all watched and saw the Vikings' futile attempts to get pressure, but to know that they did try to do more blitzing and and they did try to bring more than they ordinarily would. So that's uh, that's a little bit unsettling. Get those how about this one? According to PFF, Holton Hill had the lowest graded defensive performance by anyone on a really bad and poorly graded Vikings defense overall. So he covered Devonte Adams for nine throws. They did move Devonte Adams around a little bit, and they and they they had him they had him in different spots, and he torched pretty much everybody. But sure. he specifically torched Devonte uh, uh, Holton Hill nine throws to Devonte Adams when Holton Hill was covering him. Six catches, 81 yards, a touchdown, and four first downs out of the six catches. So Holton Hill, one game does not tell the whole story here, but Holton Hill, we've been sort of waiting on him. He served the suspensions, and Mike Zimmer and Rick Spielman have stuck by him based on pure talent and everything he's done behind the scenes to try to amend for letting his team down. Mm-hmm. And this was kind of the first, like, hey, man, you're the guy now. Trey Waynes is gone. Xavier Rhodes is gone. It's you, it's Mike Hughes, and it's the rookies. And this was this was a very poor debut for Holton Hill. It felt like every time Devontae Adams you're wanted being, an out route. You're being far too kind, I think, with those numbers. It was a disaster. So <laughs> what, what would you do? Like, do you start him again? What are your thoughts? And technically, I don't think he started. I believe the starting he did outside cornerbacks were Mike actually, Hughes and Dantzler. You are but, correct. Yep. You are correct. But he, but he was in the rotation of three. Oh, okay. So here's what I do, big picture-wise, because you know what? Hill had a terrible day. I completely get that. Statistically, it was even worse than I certainly thought it was. Um, 
but let's let's not necessarily panic on one player because the situation you, you have put yourself in this predicament unless you're going to go out and get a cornerback right now. Yeah, you know you've got what you've got, and I think bailing on Holton Hill completely is just premature. But big picture wise, here's what I I would do: I would look at the snap count that how they divvied things up on Sunday, and I would ask this question. So Dantzler, who was your third-round pick, played the most snaps of any corner, including Hughes. Uh, Hill and Hughes, I think, were very close in in snaps. And then your first-round pick, Jeff Gladney, I believe, played nine snaps in the entire game, and I think that they were all late. But his knee must be fine because he wasn't put on the injury report last week, and he also played six plays on special teams, and I don't think if a guy was banged up and you were concerned about him, you would play him on special teams. So I guess my question isn't, or my point wouldn't be that I would be bound to determine to bench Holton Hill. I think he still has to get more chances. My biggest takeaway question-wise is, is because, I mean, you are committed to this being in some way, I think, as as much as Zim probably hates this term, a learning experience period for players, right? No preseason. These guys are young, right? Uh, my question would be, why aren't you getting uh, Gladney into the mix with Dantzler and Hughes and, and Hill. And, and if he played like a handful of snaps. In he the played game. nine snaps. But my po- but the point is, I'm not bound to determine to bench Holton Hill, but I do want Gladney to play, and I do think that if that comes from some of Hill's snaps or Dantzler's snaps, that's fine too. So I guess my thing isn't that I'm going to fix this by making one move and benching one guy, but you're going to have to accept the fact that what we saw Sunday – playing the quarterbacks that you are pretty much going to play throughout the course of this season is going to happen. Mm -hmm. So you've got to get these guys in there, and I don't think it can be, well, Gladney's the farthest back, so he's not playing. They all have to play. And and it's not not like, I don't think you, you can find me stats from Sunday that say they found the solution. Uh, No. (laughs) I mean, that's a long long way of saying you've committed to this, so you got to play your guys. Yeah, and I, I saw so if I could unpack what you're saying here is you've got Dantzler and Gladney who are rookies, and you've got Holton Hill who's inexperienced. He hasn't played that many snaps, mm-hmm. and you got Mike Hughes. You know, I I think Mike Hughes has probably earned the right to play the most snaps if there's a pecking order, just because he's the most experienced. I would look, and I get that like between Holton Hill and Dantzler and Gladney. You know, maybe maybe Gladney long term is the guy you feel more comfortable with in the slot. So you have to figure out like between the young guys who's better in the slot, who's better outside. But I agree with you, and that I would look to get all four of those guys some meaningful amount of snaps so that you can figure this out. Because because you 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 don't have the four preseason games to be able to say at least all right. Well, Gladney is way behind, and so you're just kind of guessing based on practice. I throw him into the fire, and hell, what can what do you got to lose at this point? Based on how bad your secondary and your overall defense was in that game, um, Jeff Gladney should probably play more than the the nine snaps or whatever it is yeah. that, that he played. That's what I, I didn't got, get about I, that. I got one more for Get you here. Those nerds! 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 Football nerd segments. The Vikings missed nine tackles in that game. Uh, the Packers missed eight tackles. So on a on a rate basis, the Vikings missed a higher percentage of tackles than the Packers did. And I was wondering, all right, how bad was that compared to some of the other games and teams right. around the NFL? And uh, it was it was bad, but the Las Vegas-Carolina game, for instance, Raiders and, and our Teddy Bridgewater Panthers, mm-hmm. so they had 13 and 11 missed tackles, respectively. So there was just a lot of I haven't gone through every game I yet. I bet the but, tackling throughout the, the league in week one was bad. 
Yeah, pick another game. What, 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 other, what other game could have had a lot of missed tackles? How about, I bet you Chicago-Detroit probably had a lot of missed tackles. It's a Pop Warner Actually, game. no. How about this? Chicago missed two tackles in that game. That's it. Philadelphia-Washington. That was some putrid football. That was, that. yeah, and Philly blew it, so. Philadelphia missed nine tackles. Yeah, see, I, I bet I bet nine's Washington, about the average. Oh, Washington missed ten. Okay. I bet eight to nine missed tackles per team in week one was about the average because. The Jets missed 16 tackles. Well, why Adam Gase is still coaching is beyond me. Another candidate for buffoon of the week. He doesn't look like a buffoon because he's not chubby. Right, but, but he, he definitely uh, he definitely falls in the category. That's, that's me man. stereotyping buffoons, by the way. The eyes—that's that's, that's my bad. The eyes are scary. Yeah, he hasn't. I'm not going to sugarcoat he, it. The eyes are scary with Adam. Gase. He hasn't blinked since he signed the contract. The missed tackles are the least of my concerns. I think that fixes itself more likely than I some agree of the completely. other things. That is the that if, if I'm if I'm going to sweat something I saw a Sunday in that future performance, missed tackles probably is about fifteenth on my list. Yeah. So with all of that, that's your that's your deep dive nerd football segment of the week. Let's go around the room here. What would you guys say are the most fixable things, things that went wrong on Sunday that you feel like, all right, maybe it's not an overnight fix, but within a reasonable amount of time here in the next month or so, that shouldn't be a huge issue going forward. Um, I'll give you a few things. One, as I said before, missed tackles. You had a lot. You're probably going to not be great in the art of tackling for, in fairness. And this is going to be a league-wide thing. First three weeks. It'll correct itself. Something else I can fix easily. I can go to my guy Coops. I can say, we got this young tight end. He's pretty good. Gary, meet Irv Smith Jr. and use him. Meet one of your weapons here. That's he great. had one target. There's no, like, like that's a choice. That's a choice. You made a choice. If I'm talking to my child, I don't have one, but if I was talking to my child... And that child did something stupid that the child did on his or her own volition. That's their choice, right? Like, Irv Smith Jr. was not shut down. Is Irv Smith Jr. I'm not saying he's right going to win a game for you, but my God, he's good. I would say that pretty obviously Dalvin Cook and Adam Thielen are your two most, like, just those, those are your two top weapons on offense. Mm-hmm. If Irv Smith were given equal chances to touch the ball as all of the other weapons not named Adam Thielen and Dalvin Cook, would he be your third most valuable weapon? Because I think the answer is yes. Now, there's a reason why he only was targeted one time, and I'd like to know more about that reason. But if you gave him I'm thinking, Justin Jefferson, yeah. B.C. Johnson, Kyle Rudolph, yeah. Alex Madison, Irv yeah. Smith Jr., and they all got to touch the ball ten times, who does the most damage? I'd buy that. Irv Smith Jr. does. Yeah. I'd buy, I'd so buy that. Get yeah. him the ball. Yeah. Ten might be aggressive, but five? Not one. But one, one, and I think it came in garbage time. And one? That's ridiculous. And then my third my third thing would be I don't know if there's something defensively beyond mistackling that doesn't scare me to death to be because uh, I, I, I mean experience will come, but that could be a ways and you play some great quarterbacks. Uh my third thing, I guess, would, would be go back to offense, it would be the involvement. Dalvin Cook. I think Dalvin rushed for 50 yards. And the most important stat to me involving Cook was two targets, one reception, minus two yards. You didn't pay him all that cash for him to be a target twice. And if there's anything, again, the play that the safety came on, all right, 
there's a lot of different calls that you can make there that are a lot safer. And if they involve Dalvin Cook, I'm going to be honest. If it's like a short pass or a run or something, I feel pretty good about myself right there. So I didn't, if I'm the Vikings and the Wilfs, I didn't give Dalvin all of that cash and security for him to be like, oh, you know what? He had 50 yards rushing. No, no, no. So those are my three things. Declan? I think we'll just in general, like the time of possession is going to change. Like there's no way in hell that the Vikings only touched the ball again for what was it, 18 minutes or the, the lowest amount in the last 40 years. So that's going to change. Mm-hmm. Um, how efficient you are on offense and defense, obviously we'll have to wait and see, but I don't think the Vikings are going to be out there for 18 minutes. So naturally I think Dalvin Cook is involved more. And then I, I would also still like to see Kirk Cousins to spread things out more. You know, he threw only threw to Adam Thielen for the majority of the first three quarters of the game. So I think in general, he's going to be targeting guys like Herb Smith and hopefully Justin Jefferson. Um, so I think what will change mostly is a, your time of possession. So you'll get your offense more in a rhythm. And then Kirk Cousins also looking around because you, you have to go by committee with Stefan Diggs out and Adam Thielen being really the biggest target. Eventually teams are going to try their best to put a clamps down on Adam Thielen. And that's when you're going to, have to be forced to find other players around in your offense. So I would say those two things are time of possession and then just Cousins spreading the ball around to other players. You know, it's funny. My, my initial answer was going to be, well, I mean the, the running game, they kind of, they kind of ditched the running game because they fell down by so many points. That's going to fix itself. They ran the ball 22 times for 134 yards, six yards per carry, and a couple of touchdowns by Dalvin Cook. Not bad. Now, Dalvin Cook only had 12 carries because, again, they were playing catch-up, and they just right. didn't run that many plays in the first half. And so I think, I guess I would amend it by saying the running game will be more of a featured aspect of the Vikings offense in games starting this week where you run more than two offensive plays in the first half. Right. So, But to, but to Dex's point, and I agree completely, I need Cousins and, and I need the game plan to be this. Don't worry about who your technically wide receivers are. Like Dalvin Cook has to be a major part of this passing game now. Irv Smith Jr. as well, right? So that's that's the thing is, is you know, Kirk, we don't need you looking for Tajay. I don't care if you don't look for Tajay Sharp once. Spread, to Dex's point again, spread the ball out, but spread the ball out to the people that should get the ball in their hands. Yeah. Yeah. So, so the, you know, to go into the, just like the, the pie chart of receivers, so Adam Thielen was targeted eight times, BC Johnson four times, Alex Madison was targeted four times, Dalvin Cook twice. Dalvin Cook, again, twice to Irv Smith's once. Irv Smith and Dalvin Cook, I just of the twenty five targets in that game, I don't need Tajay Sharp to get one on a forty yard pass, <laughs> and um, I honestly don't need Rudolph to get targets before Dalvin Cook. Just straight up, like Kyle Rudolph has been a great asset to this team, and he's great in the red zone. But the, the, there's something that's a little bit off to me about. Uh, and now again, the numbers bear out that Kirk Cousins, outside of the bad interception, had a good offensive performance, but. As you dig a little bit deeper here, Dalvin Cook just signed a big contract, only touches the ball 13 times in that game. I get that there was limited plays, but um, let's find some ways to get the guys the ball that can do the most damage, I guess. Even though defense was the reason why they lost this, right? That's, we're just yes. doing a deep dive here. Yes, so. yeah. And I, I would say that if we're going to focus on two plays in particular, so so because they didn't run a ton of plays, but let's just take two plays in particular. The safety... And the fourth and three are inexplicable to me. Like that's not doing what you do well in those in those situations. So if the sharp passes on first down and you take a shot, okay, cool, you took a shot, didn't work. But if you think about those two plays and just 
honed down on them and well, what they meant at that time. I don't think that either of those play calls are catering to what they do the best, and they're certainly not catering to the key players that we all think should be involved. Well, play action is a thing that they do really well, but running play action out of your own end zone <laughs> in that yes. situation is yes. is risky when you don't have a mobile quarterback. So you better make sure you're if you're going to run that play out of your own end zone, you got to make sure you're buttoned up well, and think about what if they run a corner or a safety in on a blitz. And to that point, too, to dive dive uh, super geeky deep, is it fair of the play caller to think that Cousins is going to find a protection that most quarterbacks with his experience could find when we know that he can struggle with that? Get those nerds! Like, we can all sit here and pound the table and be like, he's got to see that, man. He's got to account for him. And we're not wrong. But you know, it's like it's like if you got a if if you know a buddy or something and he's got a tendency and then you set him up to fail, that's sort of your fault too. And I I will say that uh, just to, to tease for tomorrow, we're going to do a deep dive into Kirk Cousins tomorrow and talk more about sort of the, the state of Kirk Cousins once a week on this show. And I have a couple of thoughts that are more just watching the NFL all day on Sunday. And and watching Kirk Cousins, who again was he was fine. Like in fact, his PFF grade was great. It was like a ninety on a one to one hundred. I think it was the straight. second best to Thielen's on the team. Yeah, it was, yeah. and and he was fine. He was fine. Mm-hmm. But um, I've got some takes on just Kirk Cousins within the realm of quarterbacks in the NFL right now that we'll we'll save for our dive tomorrow. But that has been your football nerd segment. Get those nerds, nerds of the week here on Purple Daily with Mackie and Judd Declan. We appreciate uh, everyone who jumped in to Vikings Vent Line with us on Sunday. We're going to keep doing that in video form. And if you aren't already subscribed to our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Purple Daily Podcast. And we will see you tomorrow.